Well, good morning. Oh, thank you. Got to have your preaching hymn book. Couldn't do it without it. <laughs> Let's pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for, uh, again, this letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. We ask today as we, uh, <laughs> as we read a part of the Bible that it can be confusing. Christians have made very different things of through the years. We ask, please, that you would help us to see the truth. And uh, as we consider the, the rather challenging teaching that we see in here, we ask that you would give us humility to listen and to believe what you would have us believe. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When is Jesus coming back? It's a question that's been asked countless times through the ages. You can go and find all sorts of examples of people who have had a go at trying to pick it. When is he going to come back? And uh, there's, there's whole studies of the Bible that try to make sense of numbers and patterns and symbols and trying to decode the mysteries that are hidden within to try and pick the date. It is a question that matters. If you remember last week, as we saw what Paul was writing to this church that was going through really tough persecution, they, they were being locked up and threatened with death for being followers of Jesus, and Paul said to them, it's okay, because when Jesus comes back, it'll all be fixed. And so you can imagine them wanting to know, well, when is that going to be, right? I mean, you're telling us to just hold on until Jesus returns. When's he coming? Do I have to hold on for a day? For a week? For a decade? For a millennia? For two millennia? How long do I have to hold on for? The day when Jesus returns will be glorious. When will it be? It's happened all through the ages. I, 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 there's all sorts of examples I could give you. I stumbled this week onto a new one that I, I hadn't been aware of before. Uh, in the late 1800s into the early 1900s, the Jehovah's Witnesses prophesied the date of Jesus' return. They worked it out. They'd done the numbers and deciphered the symbols and they were so bold as to pick the day even. The Jehovah's Witnesses Watchtower Society, the, the publication that published their official documentation, had it ready for everyone. The world will end. Jesus will return. Human government will be overthrown. False religion will be shown to be false. The Lord Jesus will sit on his throne and all of this will happen on October 1st, 1914. I've often wondered what October 2nd would have been like. A little bit sheepish, perhaps? Well, he didn't. Jesus didn't come back. <laughs> Where is he? If we were all going to see him and it was going to be the end. Now they've had to change their teaching a number of times since, as you could imagine. But, but I suspect it happened even as Jesus was ascending. There was probably already someone in the crowd with a little piece of parchment and, a, and an ink quill trying to work out, all right, so it took God seven days to make the world and Jesus is gone to create a new place. Maybe it'll just be one week, right? We've got to hold out for one week and, and off they go. In, uh, in the Thessalonians' case, someone 
was trying to tell them when Jesus was coming back. Have a look at chapter 2 in 2 Thessalonians and verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled, either by a prophecy or a message or a letter supposedly from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Someone was going around saying, ah, you missed it. What a shame. (laughs) I mean, it's this big day you guys are all waiting for. It's already happened. Now, I don't know if these people were scammers, if if this was the, the original version of the Nigerian prince sending the email, right? Jesus has already come, but for just 10 shekels, I can take you to where... Like, I don't know if that's what it was. I don't know if they were misled, if these themselves were people who had just gotten it wrong. We know nothing about them, other than that they were alleging the day of the Lord has already come. And so Paul wants to set out for these readers a way of kind of encouraging them. It's okay, guys, you haven't missed it. And as he does, we get to learn a bit about what has to happen before Jesus returns. And more importantly... What does it teach us about the state of the world today, about people, about the people who are in here, the people who are out there? What do we need to learn? Don't be deceived, Paul says to them, and don't let anyone deceive you. In fact, it's very simple. Verse 3, it's very simple what has to happen. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day, the day of Jesus' return, will not come unless the apostasy or the rebellion comes first, And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. There you go, very simple, isn't it? Before Jesus returns, the rebellion has to happen and the man of lawlessness has to be revealed and destroyed. All right, you got it? (laughs) Well, the problem for us is that Paul had been talking to them and didn't write it down for us. Come and look down at verse 5. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you about this? Come on, guys, you know about it. Verse 6, you know what currently restrains him, so that he will be revealed in his time. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one restraining him now will do so until he is out of the way. And we think to ourselves, well, good one, Paul, because you're referring to a conversation you had with them that we aren't privy to. So they knew but we don't. Thanks. (laughs) You guys know about it, but we don't. And in fact, not only do we not know, that we have no way of knowing. Isn't that a strange thought? That there's nothing in the Scriptures, nothing in this chapter, nothing in other passages that explain to us explicitly who this man of lawlessness is or what it is that is currently restraining him. Now, of course, people have tried to have a guess at who it might be. Of course, we can't help it, can we? Who is this man of lawlessness? And people have thought of all sorts of things. Right? Maybe it was Rome back in the day or some particular insurrectionist. Maybe it was just sin in general. Maybe it was Satan himself that's being spoken of. And what's restraining him? Well, maybe it was Rome, which is weird, because maybe it was Rome who is the man of lawlessness, and maybe it's Rome that's restraining the man of lawlessness. Maybe it's the rule of law, or maybe it's the gospel preacher, or the spiritual forces. Or The point is we can't know. We, we can guess, but we don't know. 
The point that Paul wants to make, though, is unmissable. You don't need to know who the man of lawlessness is to get the point. I think that's why we're not told. Because the point is that this man of lawlessness who is being restrained, when he is revealed, Jesus will come and destroy him. You won't be able to miss the return of Jesus. You see, these Thessalonians were scared that they'd missed it. Paul says to them, don't be worried about missing it. When Jesus returns, it will be in the context of such great conflict that it will not be secret. It will be seen. The man of lawlessness will be revealed and the Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth, with his word, and bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. You see, what we learn in this chapter isn't about the specifics of Jesus' return. I'm sorry, if, if you were hoping that all of a sudden I was going to be able to tell you today the day, I was going to tell you how much longer you had to wait, I'm very sorry. That's not for us to know. No, Jesus makes that very clear. The Father knows. And that's enough. We trust him that he knows. It's not ours to know. Rather, what Paul wants us to learn is he wants us to understand the nature of evil the nature of the world that we live in, such that we keep persevering. That was the point of chapter 1, right? Do you remember? Your faith is flourishing, your love is increasing, and you stand firm in the face of whatever might come. Paul still has that in mind. He wants us to stand firm. So here's what we need to understand. That this lawless man, whatever this, sorry, lawlessness, whatever this man of lawlessness is, His work is happening, but his work is restrained. Have a look at verse 7 with me. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restraining him will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, the Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. Right, so the mystery of lawlessness, not... Not law-breaking, but lawlessness, absence of law, chaos, evil, wickedness. This is happening in our world now. But it's restrained. Evil in our world doesn't get full sway, which is good, isn't it? If evil just got to exert its power with nothing restraining it, our world would be a very dark place. I mean, it already is, because evil is at work. Lawlessness is at work. But it's kind of confused, isn't it? If you had to describe, if you had to summarise the world to someone, well, you couldn't say it's all bad. Because there's lots of good in the world. But you also couldn't say it's all good because there's lots of bad in the world. We live in a world that is mixed, where good and evil are intertwined. And I'll tell you what, I think Satan likes it this way. Come and have a look down at verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with all kinds of false miracles, signs and wonders, with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they do not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. It's all about deceit. It's all about lies. 
It's all about making sure that you do not believe the truth. I mean, is, is the world a confusing place? Well, actually, that's Satan's game plan. Do you know whether he's even real or not? Or is he at work or not at work? Or He loves it that way. Deceit is what he is. The father of lies is his nature. It's strange. You can, you can go through life and you'll find all sorts of people who either believe in Satan too much or too little. It's very strange. There's people who believe in him too much, right? There's Satanists who worship Satan, very strange people that they are. But there's even Christians who believe in Satan too much and end up finding Satan in every place that they can possibly look, right? Every illness, every wrong, every, everything has to do with a demon and you've got to find the name or the colour or the smell of that particular demon and get it out from under your bed and whatever else it might be and you end up focused on Satan more than on Jesus, but then there's plenty of people who don't believe in him at all, are they? Way too little. They just ignore him. They think that somehow Satan doesn't exist and life is just neutral. Humanity, we're just who we are. No, Satan is at work and this lawlessness, this mystery that is at work now, is based on his power to deceive with all kinds of miracles and signs and wonders, all designed to sell lies. Our world is full of lies. There's lots of lies about God. You might have heard some of them yourself. You heard this one recently? Oh, all religion does is cause wars. If we could just get rid of religion, wouldn't the world be a peaceful place? Yeah, a bit of John Lennon there, right? Just imagine. You heard that one? That God's a killjoy. He's just an evil, mean ogre up in the sky who doesn't want any of us to have fun. He's a bitter old grumpy man. Perhaps the biggest lie is a very simple one. I don't need God. That one's been around since the beginning. But there's plenty of other lies as well. Lies about what the world can give you. The libertarian lie. All we need is sufficient freedom. The day when you can do whatever it is you want to do, that will be the day when you find happiness and fulfilment and contentment. That'll be the day when society finds its utopia. The lies of the sexual revolution. When you can sleep with whoever you want, whenever you want, however you want, then we will be free. <laughs> Gee, don't we know that one to be a lie right now? The lie of self-identity. You can be whoever you want to be. Or perhaps the biggest lie of our age, the lie of materialistic consumption. You must always have more. Satan loves them all. Whatever lie will keep us from the truth, doesn't matter which it is, he loves it. His purpose is to deceive. The purpose of this lawless mystery is to hide the truth and to have people believe lies. And do you know what? That teaches us something really unfortunate and sad about people who are perishing. Again, look at verse 9 with me. The coming of the lawless one based on Satan's working with all these false miracles and signs and wonders, with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved.
You see, those who are perishing believe the lies and they want to believe the lies. There's just enough deception, there's just enough good in the evil and evil in the good to think, oh no, that, that's the right way. That's what I need to believe. That's how I need to operate. And you know what? Part of God's judgment is to give what people want. Now, I tell you, this is terrifying. This verse is truly terrifying. Have a look at verse 11. For this reason, because they don't accept the love of the truth, because they believe lies, for this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie that all will be condemned. Those who did not believe the truth but delighted in unrighteousness. We need to be very clear about this. God is not passive. God's not sitting up in heaven, powerless, just uh, hoping and really waiting. Oh, please, please, please. Please, would you come to me? I'm really desperate. You know, we start, we run our hope explored course and half a dozen people come along and God's up there going, oh, yes, maybe I'll get one of these. God is not passive. No, because people do not love the truth... God acts in judgment upon them to keep them in that delusion. We think of God as acting for salvation at the end. Right? At the end, when Jesus returns, then God will condemn people. Then God will save people. But God is at work in the world today to save as he calls his people home, as he removes the delusion from them that they might believe the truth and to condemn. You reject God? But don't be surprised that he rejects you. You don't believe or don't be surprised that God sends a delusion. You give up on him, he gives you over to the very lies you worship. That's Romans 1. That's the argument of Romans chapter 1. We receive in ourselves the consequences. And I tell you what, I think that's why evangelism is so hard. Did you feel at this term? We've just kind of wrapped up our term of focused evangelism, of reaching out. I wonder, did you invite someone to an event? Why is that so hard to do? You stop and think about that for a minute, right? If you're going to a movie and you want to invite a friend to come to the movie, you don't think twice about it. There's nothing hard about that, is there? I'm going to the movies. Do you want to come to the movies? All right, let's go to the movies, right? Like, you know, there's no... You go to a picnic. You want to come to a picnic? Yeah, all right, okay, I'll bring a sandwich. You bring yours, all right? Like, there's, there's no... You don't, do you want to come and hear the saving word of the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, man, I've got butterflies now, right? And I'm scared. And, and, and all of a sudden, I've got sweaty palms and I have to plan when I'm going to ask you. And, and when the time comes, I'm anxious about it now. And will you come? I don't know. And on the day, I'm, is he going to come? Is he not? What's so hard about it? It's because we know that people who aren't, aren't followers of Jesus love the lies. It's because we know that at that moment of finding the gospel, it's a moment of confrontation. This isn't neutral. This isn't easy. This is important, it really matters, 
but it's hard. We hear, as someone speaks of Jesus, we hear of amazing love. We hear the wonder of the God who died for us to bring us home. They hear a bunch of hateful bigotry because they believe the lies. I tell you what, it means why, it helps us understand why evangelism without prayer is such a waste of time. Because unless God removes the delusion, what hope is there? But I wonder then as we reflect on it, what difference is there between those who are perishing in this world where evil is at work, although masked, what difference is there between those who are perishing and those who are saved? Have a look at the last, the, the second half of our chapter there. Because the difference is God's work. That's the difference. Have a look at verse 13. We ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord. Because from the beginning, God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Do you note who he thanks for their salvation? He's not praising them. Oh, we praise you that you saw through the lies and chose fit to believe. that. No, we thank God because from the beginning, again, right, we're talking about that active God, from the beginning of creation had looked into us and said, you, 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 you're mine. Through sanctification by the Spirit, I'm going to remove that delusion so that you do see the lies for being lies and you do see the truth. I'm going to teach you to obey and believe through the gospel of the Lord Jesus so that in the end you too might obtain the glory of God. What's the difference? The difference is that God has been kind to us. Just in case you're sitting there thinking highly of yourself, right? They're deluded by the lies, but ha, I'm not. I see the truth. Just in case, I mean, I hope you're not, but just in case you were, the only reason that you are in here is because God was kind. No wonder Paul thanks God for them. God's Spirit changes us so that the lies start to seem off. It's the lies that we now go, that, that can't be right. And God's glorious truth is the smell of life. And it's the call through the gospel. This good news about Jesus. I wonder how you view the world right now. I, I've felt for the last little while like the world's falling apart. I don't know if that's your... It just seems like... Whether it's just the news, right, and, and maybe I should stop turning the news on, but it just feels like everywhere you look it's bad, right? Even the bees are dying now. I mean, like, you, you just can't, you can't win. We've got that varroa mite or whatever it is that comes and targets the European honeybees, and so they've got to destroy every hive in Newcastle or whatever. Like, you just, what is going on? But actually, you know what? It's kind of irrelevant to us. The world can fall apart if it wants to. Our power doesn't lie in somehow keeping the world together. 
Our power lies in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the message that God uses to bring the deceived perishing into the light of the truth to find salvation and glory. And so, Paul says to the Thessalonians and to us, stand firm. Don't be deceived. Oh no, he's already come. Don't worry about them. It'll be obvious when Jesus comes. See the world for what it is, a place where evil is at work right now. It's hidden, so it's not quite so obvious, but it's there. Remember that the power you have is what God has given you, the Lord Jesus Christ, His death and the glorious gospel. You see, the dividing line in the end, the fundamental difference between a follower of Jesus and the one who is perishing for eternity is belief. Not whether you believe, but what you believe in. God is truth. Satan is the father of lies. We need God to reveal himself to us. Paul finishes verse 16 with this reminder that it is God's work. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. Well, what do we do? Again, like last week, I want to tell you to be prepared. The day may well come when you yourself face something that will cause you to doubt, cause you to think, cause you to be deceived, cause you to start to follow lies. Be prepared. Be on your guard against falsehood. Fight against falsehood. We, we've gotten in trouble before, we, we preachers in this church, for taking to task others, for talking about preachers of other churches or writers of books or leaders of movements. We've had people criticise us. Well, you can't, you can't speak poorly of them. Actually, if they're not teaching the truth, we absolutely can and we should. We must fight against falsehood, not just let it go on, particularly people who claim the name of the Lord Jesus. I mean, if they're Satanists or whatever, well, I don't care about them, they're obviously off somewhere. But if someone claims the name of the Lord Jesus and teaches falsehood, that person we must speak against. Be prepared yourself. It's not just fight against wrong teaching, but be soaked in true teaching. If you you don't feel confident in the Bible, if you don't think you really know it particularly well, well, then that ought to be an encouragement to you to study the Bible. Whether you're doing it alone, whether you're doing it in one of our small groups, you're not going to finish it in this life, okay? So don't, don't think, well, I'll, I'll set a month aside to study and then I'll be done. Just start and don't stop. But study the Bible. We need to do more than read it. Dwell on it, meditate in it, ponder it, and of course, apply it. Be prepared, learn to love. Last week we were talking about loving those who are lost. Loving those who are persecuted, was last week. This week, we need to learn to love the lost. I mean, they're they're deluded, sadly. They might not think it. It's it's kind of hard to think of our neighbours, our loved ones that way, isn't it? 
deluded, believing lies. They seem like such nice people. Their lives are so okay. Like, what do you mean that they're... But they are. They've bought the lies. Learn to love them such that we will preach the gospel. It is the power that we have. Learn to love them such that we will pray for them. God's Spirit must work. Be prepared, learn to love, and of course be challenged. And the challenge this week is to stand. Jesus may not return in our lifetime. He might. I want him to. I mean, if he does it in the next five or ten minutes, then I don't have to preach twice more on a Sunday, so that'll be all right. But he might not. And we have to live out the remaining however many years God gives us in the face of the work of this mystery that is the man of lawlessness, in the face of the work of Satan. We have to stand in the face of a world that what, what Satan wants more than anything else is for you to believe a lie and to stop following Jesus. Be challenged today to stand in the Lord Jesus Christ such that when he comes to destroy with his, the breath of his mouth his enemies and when he comes to bring the glory that belongs to him to share it with his people, you are found on the right side, not the wrong one. Be prepared. Learn to love. Be challenged. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you once again that you reveal to us what it is that we need to know. And so, Father, as we come across passages like this one that, that have mysteries, that have things we don't know, please help us to trust you. Thank you for what you do teach us so clearly here. The state of the world that we live in and the reality that you are at work to judge and to save. Father, help us to stand firm. Give us grace and encouragement and strength to do good in your name, to hold firm to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And give us the sort of love that yearns to see those around us brought to Jesus and be saved. Amen.